What is going on, everybody? Guys, welcome back to another amazing, let me tell you, very, very exciting episode of the Superman Life. First off, guys, before we dive into today's guest and conversation, I just take a moment and remind you how incredibly grateful and thankful I am to have you here with me today. Episode 231, December 25th, 2023, guys. Merry Christmas for those of you that are hearing this on the day of our release. For those of you that are hearing it in the weeks coming after, I hope you had an incredible Christmas and getting ready for an amazing 2024, guys. 2024 is going to be a year like no other. Guys, joining me back on the show today is somebody returning for the fourth time. Yes, this is our first ever fourth time guest but I'm so grateful and so honored to be sharing him with you again because of the impact that this gentleman has had on my life over the last six years. Guys, so many of you are familiar and know Josh Kashadorian personally, or you've had an opportunity to obviously hear him on the podcast before, maybe been a part of our mastermind group that we ran last year called Becoming Superhuman. But Josh Kashadorian is a husband, father, leader, and coach to men who is on a mission to lift up Jesus as the standard by which all of life's decisions, passions, and pursuits will be measured by. Like I said, guys, J Josh has had an incredible impact on me and on my life. And if I'm being truthful with you here, I don't believe I'd be sitting here recording this intro for you right now. I don't believe the Superman life would be in existence if it weren't for the impact that Josh has had on my life. So that's how much he means to me. And that's why I'm so honored to bring him back here with you today. Guys, in this episode, Josh and I are going to break down and discuss a powerful morning practice to bring peace into your life and allow you to grow closer to God. We're going to talk about God's design for the nuclear family and how there is an intentional attack on masculinity across the world. Guys, we're going to dive deep into the role that our relationship with our earthly father plays in our relationship with our heavenly father. And we're going to give you some practical steps for men to grow in their God-given identity and so much more. Guys, this conversation is a powerful discussion rooted in faith, rooted in pursuit of greatness, and rooted in giving you the tools needed to become the man that God has called you to be. So without further ado, guys, let's get into today's conversation with none other than Josh Kashadorian, the standard for family, masculinity, and identity. We love you guys. We'll see you on the other side. Welcome to the Superhuman Life. I'm your host, Frank Rich, and this is the only podcast in the world that is dedicated to helping men level up in the five key areas of life. Each week, we bring you real and raw conversations with the world's leading experts in faith, fitness, finance, family, and freedom to provide you with real actionable tools to break limiting beliefs, take action, and shatter the glass ceiling on your life's potential. So jump on board and join me on this journey as we dive into today's conversation and unlock the keys to you becoming the man you were born to be and creating your own superhuman life. Josh, there's a whole lot of conversation right now in the biohacking, the self-development, the personal development space around breathing. You got the Wim Hof breathing, you got box breathing. There's all these different methods. You've uncovered and unlocked a way to use our breathing to get closer to God. Can you kind of walk us through uh, your process, and where did you even discover 
this biblical breathing, I think you call it. Let's talk about it. Right now in the biohacking community, if we look out, um, just what's happening with anything that has to do with managing stress, right? Managing your mental state. And this is like the hot topic everywhere because people are stressed out wherever you go. So like, whether it's corporate training, whether it's the new fitness craze or whatever it is, everyone's incorporating something to readjust your mental clarity and bring you to a state of calmness because people are stressed more than ever before. So I think we've seen an uptick in anything related to how can we get our workforce, how can we get our clients, how can we get our patients, how can we get people to calm down and take a step back? So I think that's one of the driving forces of why we're seeing so much emphasis on breath work. On top of that, obviously biohacking has grown, right? The, the books, the podcasts, there's so much out there of people that want to optimize their physiology. So that's also drawn a lot of attention to what do the Navy SEALs do to optimize their physiology in stressful situations? What are biohackers doing? Where are they drawing these different techniques and practices for breath work? And then obviously you mentioned Wim Hof um, has been in incredible and he's got a huge audience from what he does. And I think maybe, I don't know, maybe he's been a little bit of an inspiration for some of the ice baths that you're now taking. Um, and now I'm into this too. So so definitely there's there's an uprise in anything human optimization related. So that caused me to see something in scripture one day, and it's going to take us back to God's original intent. So I'm going to take us back to Genesis chapter one at the scene of creation. Okay. So God is creating man, the first man, Adam, and it talks and it gives this vivid picture of he's forming man. He's forming us, the human species. And then it says that he breathes into man the breath of life, which there's a lot within that statement that we can get into, but he breathes into his nostrils, the breath of life. Now, the breath of life is God's spirit. God is a spirit being. He's breathing an eternal spirit, uh, this substance, this spiritual substance into man, where man is a spirit. He has a body and he also has a soul. And at that point of contact, when the breath of God went into that lifeless formless human body, it says that man became a living soul. So what's that mean? The soul is your mind, your will, your emotion, your consciousness. And man became alive at that moment when spirit met body, it produced a soul. And what's interesting, and we can easily overlook it, is that when God breathed, he breathed the breath of life, where? Into man's nostrils. And that led me to start to see if you're studying breath work uh, or any of the scientific research behind human optimization through breath work and proper breathing patterns, and basically we're all in a crisis right now because most people are under oxygenated, you're going to find out that nasal breathing is the preferred breathing to get all the physiologic benefits. That's incredible, man. And I think that's where, you know, you've seen the rise in, you know, things like the hostage tape, you know, people, you know, taping their mouth uh, when they go to sleep. Uh, you know, Huberman talks a lot about uh, nasal breathing when you're out doing, you know, zone two kind of kind of cardio. It's things I've kind of dabbled in a bit. I'm definitely not the greatest. I have found that I'm actually more of a mouth breather myself. And it's something I'm consciously aware of, but I love the interpretation and the analysis there of like the actual scripture, right? The importance of the breath to our life. Uh, you know, I've heard Ed Mallette talk about, you know, the passing of his father. He's, he's been very open and transparent about being in their bedside with his father. And he kind of had this moment of clarity where his dad passed away and he saw his dad, but he could even feel his dad was gone. So there was a body, right? There was the body that was laying there, but the breath was, was gone. And I think that's what you're kind of speaking to in the creation 
story. Man didn't become a living soul until God passed his breath through him. So if somebody wants to use their breath to get closer to the Lord, how can they, through, through what you've kind of interpreted and some of the things that you teach, how can they actually use breathing to bring God closer into the moment with them? So let's go just a little bit deeper on breath and what it signifies, because there's there's much more of a robust teaching here. We're going to make something available to your audience for those that want to go deeper into this teaching. But we also see that we have the Holy Spirit, and the Holy Spirit can also be interpreted as ruach, which means breath. So another name for Holy Spirit would be holy breath. So we see this phenomenal detail in scripture that we see wind, we see breath multiple times. When Jesus, there's many references throughout scripture of breath and God's breath. And even when Jesus is about to depart and he's with his disciples, there's one scene where he's with them and it says that he breathed on them and said, receive the Holy Spirit. So there's a deep significance. There's a supernatural power of what breath is and what the breath of God represents. So if we're made in God's image and we are a living spirit, so you are a living spirit, you have a soul and you live in a body. So think of it that way. I am a spirit, I have a soul and I live in a body. One of the ways we can use breath to, first of all, slow us down. We started talk, we started this conversation talking about the barrage of busyness, all the stress, all the chaos that we find ourselves in just from day to day. Even if you try and escape it, there's emails coming in, there's priorities, there's family priorities, there's all this stuff that we have to manage. And we can see in scripture that we can just go back to, the, to that original creation moment and we can find some peace and we can center ourselves in our source, which is Christ, which is God, the Father. And we can, through breath work, intentionally focus our spirit on being connected with God. Of course, we're always connected. For those that are Christians that have been born again, that live from this new source of life, we're always connected, but we have to bring our intentionality. We have to bring our focus to that. And one of the, way, one of the ways I found to do that, and now that I've been instructing some men how to do this, and they, they love it. They love the biblical breathing. Everyone tells me it's one of their favorite parts of the morning routine that I give them is taking a moment to be really intentional and do some deep breathing through our nose, holding it for about a second or so, like about a seven second, six, seven second inhale through the nostrils, hold it for about a second, and then exhale with one extra second. So if I breathe in for seven seconds, I'll hold for one second and I'll exhale for eight. And even as I slow my pace and I describe this, you can all of a sudden start to feel like wow, the atmosphere just shifted. We just got a little calmer, right? And now when I couple that with biblical meditation and fixing my thoughts and focusing on being one with God and, and just the unity that we have with him that he invites us into in this relationship through Christ, that can bring me into a much deeper place where I am more receptive and open to hear what he's saying through his word and directly to my spirit. You know, I think this was something I learned, I mean, a couple of years ago from you when I went through uh, a course and a training that you uh, have put together, uh, which I know we're going to have something here for the guys uh, here in a little bit. We can kind of point them to that. But you mentioned you kind of, you know, led a lot of guys through this. What has been some of the feedback that you've received from the men once they started making this a part of their morning routines? Yeah, so this is that one part of a bigger process that we do in the morning of how we connect with the Lord. Because 
Frank, here's the thing for guys that are listening to this, every normal Christian guy, if you're out there and you want to get closer to God and you want to like, Hey, I want direction in my life. I want to hear what the Lord's saying or what I'm supposed to be doing or whatever it is that you need. Um, and that you want in your life in this living, breathing relationship where you want to hear his voice and you want to operate in partnership with God, the best advice, or let me just say the most common advice out there is this pray and read your Bible which is great advice, but it's kind of generic for me. It's like, okay, pray more, pray harder, and I'll read my Bible. I'll keep reading it. And that can open up a lot of questions. How am I praying? What am I praying? What am I reading? Am I doing the Bible in a year? And you know, we can go through this cycle of what am I supposed to do? And I know this about men is that if we're going to spend time doing anything intentionally, we want to see results. We want to know that what we did was effective or else we leave scratching our heads saying, I'm not really sure if I accomplished anything and it will kind of bug you. And then you'll eventually give up if you don't have feedback to understand that what you're doing is working. So the biblical breathing is one small component in a larger routine. It's not a lot of steps, um, but the feedback that I get after we show them a new way to pray, which is all focused on biblical meditation. It's a way that we read the Bible. It's a way that we think. It's a way that we pray. Um, and we go through these detailed steps of this. And once you get the framework, it's very simple, uh, but it brings you into this meditative space where you're actually thinking very deeply. You're meditating and you're allowing God to speak to you through his word. And when you couple that with the breathing and we do some optimization um, before we even get into the breathing, it's a really powerful morning routine to start your day. Yeah, I love that, man. And and I think that's one of the reasons why, I've, guys, I've had Josh on the podcast now. This is the fourth episode he's been on. So we'll link all the previous episodes down, but because he takes these, what sometimes are very vague, vanilla things, like you mentioned, pray, read the Bible. What, what, what does that mean to a guy that lives in a tactical world, right? Like I need steps that are going to produce an outcome for me. That's how I think that's how a lot of our audience thinks here as well. And I think that's one of the, you know, the benefits of the things that you teach and talk about is, yeah, you can point us to, you know, the biblical teaching, but it's like, it's got this underpinning, I think, because, you know, obviously you're a corporate guy, you're, you know, A-driven like a lot of our listeners here as well. So you talk more from a practicality standpoint, more of the, the, the steps of the process. So I really appreciate that. And I think I want to kind of kind of segue here because, you know, you kind of opened up talking about the busyness of, of, of the world. That's why we kind of led in with how to kind of calm ourselves from the beginning. You talk about a lot of the things that current the current state of Christian men are struggling with. And I know busyness or distractions is, is one of them. Can you kind of unpack, you know, what you're seeing, you know, cause you talk to a lot of Christian guys, both, you know, in the work that you do and just kind of in, I guess more just your, your everyday life, you're, you're really inundated in the Christian space. What are you seeing right now in the current state of Christian men? Yeah. I, I don't think it's that different than men in general, to be honest with you. So um, I think the problems that men have now are the same problems that Christian men have. They're probably the same problems that our ancestors had, except now we have some technology that makes it even a little bit more difficult to navigate. But at the core of it, men are men. Um, sin is sin. The lusts of the flesh are still the lusts of the flesh. The stuff you're training on is still the stuff they needed back in biblical times. If we rewind the clock all the way back then, they just didn't have it on the ready at their fingertips on a small screen that they could carry in their pocket. Right. So it's still the same problems across all the civilizations. Um, but let's go into distraction because that's one of the biggest things that I see and actually that I fight myself. Right. We're we live in this world and depending what you're doing and no matter what you're doing, you're going to have priorities in life. I've learned one thing a long time ago, and this came through my life in the corporate world, is that if everything's a priority, nothing's a priority. 
So you can't have all these competing priorities. You actually have to have a plan where you're focused on what is the most important thing and what am I focused on now? But what's happening in this world of digital distractions is that we're bouncing around from task to task. Um, multitasking is a myth. You know, that came, that came into existence, I don't know how many years ago, but it's really stolen from technology. That was never a term that you would ever use in reference to a human. It was a term, it's a computer term, that you would have computers run multiple programs at the same time and multitask. And somehow that's become a lie that we bought into that we think we can do that and we think women are better at it and guys are okay at it and that we can manage these different tasks and whatever, whatever the thoughts are on it. But that's not the case. Actually, the science shows you that when you focus on one task and let's say I'm, I'm focused and I'm doing something, as soon as I come out of that task, it's going to take about 20 minutes is what the research shows, probably 18 to 20 minutes for me to get back into the task I was doing at the same level if my flow got broken. And when we do that, we go from one task to the next, it's called task switching. And when we're doing task switching, we're actually, we're just becoming busy. We're not actually being effective. We're just bouncing from here to there. And you probably know what I mean. I'm sure every guy can identify with this. It's when you got all those tabs open on your computer and you're like, I'm going to go here. Now I'm going to do a little bit of this. And we never see one thing through to completion. And it really holds us back. And we end up getting busy. And at the end of the day, you're like, did I accomplish anything today? I know I sat at my computer, or I did some work, but I wasn't sure what I have to show for it now. As you're sharing that, I'm thinking of all the guys right now that are listening to this. You know, they're on the treadmill, they're at the gym, they're sitting at their desk trying to get something done while consuming a podcast. And, and I love that, right? I don't want you guys to shut off what we're teaching here, but know that if you're doing that, it's probably preventing you from actually getting into the deep flow state that you need if you're really trying to do something creative and really trying to tap into, you know, some deep, deep, meaningful Work. Having a podcast playing in the background is not going to be an optimal environment for that. Would you say that a lot of the distraction in, in men, I mean, Christian and, 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 and non-believers as well, is rooted in a lack of identity? Like we don't know who we are. We don't know what we're here to, to be doing. And, that's, and that drives because we're constantly looking at the next thing. We're looking at the shiny object. Well, this over here, that over there. Like if we knew who we were, we knew what we were here for. Would that help eliminate some of these distractions, do you think? Yes, I think it can help. But even when you know who you are, the distractions are still going to be there. So you need to have a plan to defeat them. So I do agree. I think identity is the core of everything we do. Now, let's let's take the distraction argument for a moment and let's talk about what it really is. Because obviously, I'm on here and I'm talking about the supernatural realm. I'm talking about the spiritual realm. I'm talking about God. I also believe we have an enemy. His name's Satan. And so the devil wants to distract us and keep us away and divide our focus from anything that we're called to do. So we have to keep that in mind. So actually, I'm going to introduce you to a term that I picked up from a minister that's um, been a great help in this area. And he calls the, the digital distractions that we're dealing with right now, he calls them techno sorcery. And it's really interesting because it's technology is, a, don't hear me wrong. I love technology. It's the reason we're, it's how we're recording this episode right now. And we're reaching so many people. And Frank, your program's amazing. How many people you've touched because of technology, but technology can also be used for a dark reason as well. Obviously, you know that. And so through technology, Satan can engineer systems to distract you, to keep you in this dopamine drip where you're always looking for feedback. You're always chasing these fleeting measure, fleeting moments of pleasure, and you stay unfocused and you stay away from the mission that you have. So I honestly believe we, we opened up talking about prayer. 
Prayer is one of the most powerful things you can do. And you mentioned the flow state. I believe you can get into a flow state in prayer um, through, through scripture, through an encounter with the Lord in your secret place in the morning. And you can emerge out of that place very clear very strong, very intentional. I believe this is what we see in the life of Jesus. We see that he got up early. He went to a certain place, as what the Bible said. So he had a place that he went to where he met with the Father. And then it also says he knew where he was going that day, and he only did what he saw his Father doing. So that means when he was about to heal someone, or he was about to have, a, have an interaction with someone, he had already seen that. He was already in the secret place where he knew who he was going to be speaking with, who he was going to be healing, what he was going to be doing. So that's the mission that you can emerge with in the morning. Now, introduce distraction, anything that divides our focus, that fractures our focus and gets us away from what God wants us to do. And it, it doesn't have to be that you're running a revival ministry. It might be you need to show up and be the man of the house and be the leader in your family. It might be you have to complete the job at work, finish the project and get the promotion. It might be you have to be at your son's game and you have to be on the sideline or you're coaching and you're really intentional in your focus and you're not one of those dads on the sidelines just going through his phone the whole time. And whatever it is that you're called to do, the technology can be used as this techno sorcery to pull you away from your original intent and from your mission and your purpose. Yeah, I, I think I phrased it to, you know, a lot of them that we coach and, and, and work with, you know, I'll advise a lot of them, you know, depending on where you are, you know, depending on what you maybe do for, for, for work, for a living, a lot of times maybe eliminating social media for a short time can be great. I'm not against it completely, right? I mean, I've built uh, an entire, you know, business and platform through these channels, but it's understanding that you can use it for good or you can be used by it. And I think when you fall into the realm of being used by it, that's when maybe it's going to become this techno sorcery, right? But are, are we using it for good? Are we using it to connect with people on the other side of the world? Are we using it to maybe consume great content, great podcast, or is it just this mind numbing kind of meaningless scrolling that we kind of get lost into and we don't even know where the time went. So I think it's understanding that distinction and are we using it to benefit or is it, are we being used by it? I think is the way that I kind of try to kind of phrase this up a little bit. Yeah. I mean, if we look at anyone great who's built anything it takes time. It takes dedication. It takes focus. Um, I've been in the cave myself over the past couple of months. I'm, I'm on here with a beard this time, right? So I haven't been on social that much recently. I need to get back on there. Um, and it's been great to be off for a little bit and to stay focused. And I'm really focused on creating and serving the guys I'm working with right now, having great conversations with you. Um, and I'm about to jump back in. But there is a time where it's good to separate and it's good to take a step back and kind of reset reset your rhythm, reset what you're doing and how you're running your day. Because if you're not running your day, your day is going to end up running you. And that's where, I mean, the, the stats are crazy. When you start looking at social, it just draws you in. You have to remember, Frank, and everyone listening, these programs were built by engineers who did extensive studies with the one purpose to keep you on the platform as long as possible and never get off of it. And so the studies, the pop-ups, the notifications, the bells, the visuals, where the buttons are placed, these were all, we know it, it gets rearranged every so often, right? They're testing something else. What keeps people on longer? What gets them to click? What headline, what ad, what image? And so everything's working against you 
And it's almost like you don't have a chance if you're just like, I'm just going to white knuckle and use my willpower. I mean, I found myself and sometimes it's a form of entertainment. I'm fine with it. I'll be watching some reels and I'm like, oh, this is funny or this is good. And like the hooks are amazing. The marketing's great. It's like this, this really can suck you in. And before you know it, you can look at the time and said, wow, I didn't complete what I was going to do right now. So you just have to be careful and you really have to set some boundaries for yourself. Yeah. Uh, not, not just engineers, cause engineers are great machinery builders, right? Like they understand the back end. It's the, it's the psychologists and the behavioral, uh, experts as well partnered with the engineers. That is what's created, you know, this world where we can't beat it. It's going to win every single time. And if you don't believe that, go watch the movie, social dilemma. And they actually break it down. They had all the people that were, were there at the beginning explaining what they were doing. Uh, so that's a real kind of peek behind the curtain, you know, for anybody. I've talked about the, the documentary a lot here. I actually shot an episode back in 2020 at the release specifically dedicated to that, guys. We'll link that down in the show notes for you as well. Um, but curious with you, you know, you mentioned that you've you've kind of uh, pulled back here uh, a, a little bit. Do you have a gauge? Do you have a barometer that you kind of follow when you know it's the right time? Or how does a guy know, you know, hey, I, maybe I need to kind of scale back here a little bit? You know, when we talk about being made in God's image, one of the one of the hallmarks that separates God, and it also separates humans because we're imagers of God, is we have the ability to create. We have the ability the ability to generate something and create something that was non-existent before. So we can get a vision, we can have an idea for an invention, for something novel, for something new, and we can actually take that vision and bring it into life by something we actually generate, something that wasn't there that now we created. And the system is the antithesis of that. It's all about consumption. It wants you consuming. It doesn't want you creating. And so I find there's a balance in this consume versus create. So where I've been focused on, if there's a barometer, it's about what do I have to do? What am I focused on creating right now? And I think we're creating many things. We're creating atmospheres. We're creating worlds with what we say. We're creating the environment in our family, in our home. Um, but we're actually creating, for some of you, it's a work product. It might be a book. It might be a podcast. It might be content. Um, it might be a work project that's going to enrich or enhance the life of someone, the end user. And so I have to be careful that I am creating. And I want to. here's one of my barometers that you asked for is I want to create more than I consume. If I find myself in consumption, it usually leads to comparison because that's eventually where it will go. And that usually leads to distraction. And if you let it go, it can take you all the way into depression because you start looking at what everyone else has and you could say, hey, I'm not there or I don't have this. So the system's almost engineered for that, right? Isn't that, that what marketing does? Hey, you're, you'll be this when you finally get this. Like when you get the car, you're going to feel a certain way and then it's going to translate to this emotional state. And then you're going to have to buy the next thing and the next thing. So I look at creating versus consuming. It's a great analogy there with the, the, the marketing, you know, thinking that these things are going to produce a specific state and it's going to give you an emotion. It's going to be short lived, but then you're going to return back, uh, you know, circling back to your identity. And you know, one of the things you said here before was identity is at the core of everything we do. And I think when a lot of guys think about their identity, it's like, yeah, you know, uh, I'm a teacher, I'm an educator, you know, I'm a, uh, you know, I'm a sales guy, I'm a leader, you know, I'm a vice president, uh, you know, I'm an entrepreneur, I'm a business. It's like the first thing we always go to is what we do, right? I know this is one of the things you talk about a lot here. Why is that not the proper way that we should be looking at our identity? And where does a man's identity come from? Well, I'm going to, first of all, be really vulnerable and say, even though I grew up in a great household, I still fell into the trap of wanting this external validation 
by something that I owned, by a possession, by a title. Um, I think all guys do, especially usually in their 20s. Usually in their 20s is where it hits really hard. You're trying to find yourself. You're trying to find what am I going to do with the rest of my life? And I know for me, Frank, um, you know, everyone has a little like, what's what's your thing? Like some guys are car guys or it might be a, a certain thing that you like or you're a gym guy or whatever it might be. For me, it was watches. I just always like liked watches, the the mechanism and, you know, the flash or whatever it was. So I remember um, as I was younger, I was like, I decided what watch I wanted. And I'm like, man, when I get that watch, I'm going to feel, I'm going to feel different. I'm going to feel something. <laughs> and And I remember I got it. And um, it did feel good for a little bit. And it what was just one of those. I got a Breitling Super Avenger. I actually got it when I was on my honeymoon and I uh, got a great deal. I'm looking on at it one actually. right now, actually. I'm looking at a, uh, a pro performance. Okay. Uh, more of a sport mode. Yeah. They're, they're great watches. Great um, craftsmanship. They're chronometers. It's actually a precision instrument. I mean, I can geek out and tell you about Breitlings and how they're, you know, every aspect and link in the bracelet is handmade. Um, really cool stuff. And there's nothing wrong with that. It's okay to have nice things. I think we should have nice things. But I was pursuing something thinking when I get that, I'm going to feel like I finally arrived, right? And then later that turned into, you know, I was running my own business at that time. And then I jumped into the corporate arena. And then I felt like, okay, now I got it. Now I want the next promotion. And you keep running and you're climbing and you're trying to get to this thing that you wear as your badge of honor. And it's what we do when we meet each other, right? When two guys meet each other, it's like, hey, what do you do for a living? And all of a sudden, it's this measuring system of, you know, we're deciding whether basically who's the alpha, right? Like who's the guy who has more influence or has more money, whatever your measuring system is. Um, so I fell into that. And then I've also learned while I was in that, that I am not what I do. And I gave a message when I was in my first position in my corporate company, when I was starting to come into more substance and more training and, and becoming more the man that God had me on this path. I was re getting refined. I was getting polished. I was escalating in my position and, you know, climbing and delivering good results. And then I started to realize, like, th this is not who I am. I am who God says I am. And that's where my value comes from. Even though I got diverted for a moment, I was chasing things of the world. I was looking at the shiny objects saying, I want that. And, and I'll, when I get it, I'll feel better about myself. And that's a lie. And I know that guys deal with this all the time. I actually had someone recently said, Hey, can you talk to this guy? He's like the same thing. He wants the watch. He wants the car. He wants to do this. He's young. He was in his twenties. And then this can affect you all the way into your thirties. And then I think at midlife guys start to, to recalibrate, but God forbid you get to that. It took you that long to get there to realize that none of this stuff is going to satisfy you. So Yes, identity is the core. And so here's, I'll give a quick summary of everything I just said there. There's three lies that attack men. And lie number one is this, it's that you are what you do. The world's going to tell you you're as valuable as what you do. What's your title? What do you produce? What do you make? What do you, what do you, how are you recognized in the world? Your status, right? A lot of marketing appeals to your status. Lie number two is you are what you have. Your values derive from your possessions. How big is your house? How pretty is your wife? How many kids do you have? What are their grades in school? How many sports are they in? You know, all the things that you can, you can possess, whether that's relationships or material objects. And then line number three is you are what others say about you. It's all about your reputation or what people think of you. And it kind of brings me back to that um, age old saying that we buy things with money we don't have to impress people we don't know. 
It's interesting, right? Isn't that like a lot of what the world, when you really boil it down? I mean, if you just think about this, if you wear something that's super luxury, very expensive, that's a name brand, or let's just say it's a style, whatever the current trend is, you're wearing that. I'm not saying you don't like it, but you're wearing it because society has told you it's cool and it's on trend. So therefore you get it and you're like, okay, I'm going to follow the trend. And I do like it, but you like it because everyone around you has it. So it's almost like a sense of still trying to fit in in whatever status or link of society that you're trying to identify with. If you really boil it down, right? Why do we buy super expensive clothes with name brands on them? I know that there's an issue of quality, but there's also an issue of what am I chasing? What am I pursuing? Who do I want to look like? Who am I, who do I want to be? Yeah. Is there, is there a balance there? And I do think that there is a difference from a, a finely crafted, you know, piece of clothing and item, like something, you know, high end there, there, there definitely is a difference in how it fits and how it feels, you know, hundred dollar t-shirt is going to fit different than a pack of five that you bought at Walmart for 10 bucks, right? Like there's, there, there's going to be that element, but sometimes, and you know this, I mean, you work in, you know, the, the, the corporate realm at a very, very high level. Like sometimes you got to walk in, like you have to play the part. So knowing this, how do you kind of balance, right? Like I need to show up and, and do some of these things, but it's, I also need to understand that it's not shaping who ultimately I, I am. You understand the question? 100%. Yes. So I, number one, just disclaimer, because I don't want anyone to hear what I'm not saying. Um, I'm talking about chasing trends. And when you just step back and you're like, hey, why do I like this? Because marketing's telling me or whatever it might be, whatever's cool at the moment. But it does, you do have to, you do have to play at a certain level to infiltrate the sphere of society or the sphere of influence that God's called you to. So one of the things we can pick up from the book of Daniel, Daniel goes into Babylon and he gets promoted through the ranks. And it says that Daniel was skilled and spoke the language of the Chaldeans. So he could speak their language, he could look like them, but he wasn't them. He could influence them, he could be God's messenger, and he could provide the, slu the solution that God called him to deliver at that moment in that season of his life without compromise. But he still could enter the conversation where he could earn their respect, he could get on their level, where he could bring the right solution. So I do believe that we should infiltrate different realms of society. And to do that, you do have to look the part. You do have to check a couple boxes in the terms of you the way you operate. So number one would be you have to operate with excellence, right? That's going to be one of the main characteristics of wherever you're going into. But in terms of the clothing question, I like nice things, Frank. I have many custom suits. I sold custom suits for a little bit early in my career, and I come from a family that are tailors. So my grandfather learned the craft in Paris, actually. My uncle's a tailor. He's the one who... I don't have to wear custom as much anymore. We're not suiting up these days in the corporate arena. Um, but I do have I do have many suits. And I do think you should stand apart and everything you should do, you should have excellence. But to get to the heart of your question, I believe it's great to have nice things. I believe you should invest in the best. You should have quality. The difference is owning something versus letting something own you. Where I need that. I need to wear that suit. I need to be seen. I need to point out that it's custom. I need to point out that it's this because it makes me feel better about myself and I want the compliment and I need to let you know because my value, again, is attached to that. Where I've also been with very um, wealthy individuals where they can walk in in a tracksuit 
and they don't really care what anyone thinks of them because they know they're valued. They know what's in their bank account, right? So it's like, hey, I don't need to wear the suit to impress you. So it's all a perspective of knowing who you are, what you have and what you carry. And when you know that, you can walk into the room and you can maintain authority. You can walk in in a spirit of excellence and you can, as a result of that confidence in your identity, you can then influence. Staying on this 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 identity uh, piece here for a little bit, I know for men specifically, a lot of our identity uh, comes from our father. No, would you would you would you agree? Yes, or lack or lack of identity comes from missing a father. Correct. Can you kind of speak to that a little bit? I can. So the biblical model, and we can go right to De- Deuteronomy chapter six if you want to research this for yourself. But this is where God gives instructions to the nation of Israel, his chosen people in the Old Testament, that he's going to move through and reveal himself through to the whole world. And he sets up the parameters of the family. And he speaks specifically to fathers. And he says, you shall diligently teach your sons. And it's the ways of the Lord. It's all of the ways. And it talks about you should talk about them. You should teach them. You should speak about these things. You should model these things from day until night. That is what they were to model. They were the ones that imparted identity to the sons. So identity always comes from a father. So the identity portion, because right, even in biblical times, the father's the one that gives the child their name. So they name them and your name has significance, especially in biblical times. It carries meaning. It carries identity within the name. So the father literally gives them a name, imparts their identity, and then they're instructed to diligently train that child. So this is not the passive approach to parenting. This is very engaged, very active. And then what I find, I'll just speak to the role of mothers as well, is that the father imparts identity, but the mother creates the atmosphere or the environment in the home where that child can flourish in their identity. So it's almost like the sustaining atmosphere where that child can grow and get nurtured by the mother into their identity that the father has called them and directed them to be. You know, when I had Mickler on a couple of years back, Ryan Mickler, uh, guys, if you're not aware from Order of Man, uh, great leader in the men's you know, development space, he talked about one of the primary roles for men was taking on the role of fathering, right? So, you know, he talked about it, obviously, not all men are going to be blessed with maybe actually having children. You know, there's maybe due to medical circumstances and maybe due to just other circumstances, but all of us are called to maybe lead in some realm, you know, mentoring, maybe taking on uh, big brother. You know, I, I, a couple of years back, I've talked openly about uh, my love for coaching little league. Uh, that was a role that I saw me being, I wasn't replacing the, the father of these kids, but I was able to step in as a male leader in a fathering type of role. Right. So how do you kind of see this playing out with men's identity being rooted in fathering? Yeah, I think it's amazing. I think we need it so much right now. And if you're at a place in your life, frankly, with what you did, um, to be able to do that and be there for other children, I'll tell you like right now, um, every Sunday night, I have my kids, both my boys, actually my daughter's in the the girls version of this program, but through our church, there's a, a program. It's basically like a Christian version of Boy Scouts. And I signed up. I said, you know what? I want to be there. I'm not going to just drop my boys off and leave and come back two hours later. I might as well stay with them the whole time. And I want to be a part of it. Can I teach? And so I went in. And when I went into the room, I saw all these kids there. And my church that I'm going to right now, it's it's kind of a mix of the suburbs and the inner city a little bit. So I know there's a lot of single families there. I know there's a lot of boys in the room that probably don't have a stable father figure in the home. And I was there and I was so impressed by 
number one, I was honored to be there. I saw all the boys, but then I saw the men of the church. And, you know, it was only one guy teaching and then we break out into groups, but the men were like around the perimeter of the gym and they were watching and they were there and they were engaged. And I was like, this is awesome. I love this. Like these kids are looking around and they're seeing like, wow, these are the men. The men are here. They know the Bible. They're teaching us life skills. They're engaged, right? They're giving us attention. And I'm like, this is so needed just to have, like, I was so happy my boys were in the room, not just to see me, but to see these other guys. Like, hey, we're here. And I think that's that role of fathering. How can we father the next generation, whether it's your son or it's the community as well? So I think there's a lot to be said by that. And then again, we could take the word father and say, hey, father means foundation, right? If we're actually living up to that, then we're doing all those things. We're imparting identity. We're training. We're teaching. Um, we're giving life lessons. We're modeling. We're apologizing when we overstep, when, when I make a mistake and going to my sons and saying, hey, listen, that wasn't good what I just did. I want to apologize for that. Or that's not the model, what I just provided. And, and having humility as well. And that aspect of fathering is something we all can do regardless of what we received. You know, Josh, I've, I've, I've shared with the audience here, you know, you were there with me at a life-changing moment in, in my life. I mean, if we go back now, it's been five years. It's hard to believe it's been that long. But October 22nd, 2018, you know, history was made, like it says in uh, the copy of the tr Passion Translation that I have, right? Uh, we sat down at a restaurant. I've shared the story. Of, you know, I've shared it on your podcast here as, as, as well. You asked me two questions at the beginning of that conversation. First one was about my relationship with my father. The second one was about my relationship with God. What role does our relationship to our earthly father play in our relationship to our heavenly father? It's big. It's big because if we look at the original intent Let's break this down. And this will give a grid for every listener to understand why there is an attack on the nuclear family right now and why has there been an attack for a long time on men, but specifically fathers. And so one of the designs that God gave us, it's a God-given design of the nuclear family. He created one man and one woman. He put them in a garden and he asked them to, he blessed them and said, multiply, replenish. And there's a five-fold mandate that he gives to man and woman in the garden in Genesis 1.28. And we see the original design. Now things are going to happen because of sin. There's going to be other things that happen throughout the Bible that we can look at, but that's the original intent. And God is father. He is our father. And so the father in the human story represents God to the family. He represents, if we're to relate to a supernatural being, the creator of the entire universe, Yahweh, as our father, then how am I going to have a grid to even understand that a father is good, what a father is, what his intent is towards me, if I don't have a good father in the home? So if I have a good father in the home and we have men and women modeling these different aspects and character attributes of God in the nuclear family, which is God's design for human, for the whole species, then when I discuss or when you share the gospel with someone and you ask them and you, dis you describe God as father, they can understand that. They can latch on to that and say, oh, father, that's awesome. Like father's provider, father's protector, pro father's strong, father loves me, father watches out for me, right? But if you're missing that, now you've all of a sudden you created this distance between trying to understand God's will and his design for mankind. So isn't it like very strategic, Frank, if you were going to take out the family, of course you would go for the foundation, but also if you want to disrupt God's plan for humans, 
you would distort and disrupt the nuclear family to the point where the father's missing, he's passive, he's not there, he's hurtful, he's spiteful, and he doesn't exhibit any of the character attributes of God. Actually, the opposite, right? And it would cause so much harm and conflict in a family that that would make it very hard for a person to understand that God is actually a good father. Would you agree with that? Absolutely. Absolutely. You know, and this is how I saw it play out in my life. You know, I've spoken openly. I know you know this part about, you know, my my life and my story. You know, I held a lot of anger towards my father, right? Um, you know, and it drove a lot of the things that I did through my late teenage years and, you know, through my 20s and even into my early 30s, kind of this resentment, right? Like I did everything that like I could within my power to not become him because there was this deep rooted anger towards the way that our family kind of, you know, fell apart in the disruption at home and stuff like that. I was like, I want to avoid everything I possibly can. So my entire life was like anger driven towards him. And I felt massive peace. Uh, and it came around obviously the same time that, you know, I, I met you and kind of, you know, what, what we've shared in those experiences is like, I had to have this forgiveness for him, right? I had to accept that he was a flawed human being, like every single one of us, he wasn't perfect. He did the best that he could and, you know, was, was willing to do at the time, but it was, it was bringing God, the father into my life, creating that relationship with him that enabled me to have that peace with my own father. Yeah. It's awesome. Yeah. So that's so powerful. And I think that's, that plays out in the lives of all of us, right? A lot of us were, we're trying to win the approval of our father. We're trying to show him what we're capable of or what we can accomplish. And right. What do we say as kids? My kids say it all the time. And it just reminds me, like, I remember saying that over and over, dad, look, dad, watch me, dad, see this, like jumping in the water at the pool or taking a basketball shot, right? We just want that attention, that affection, that a father that any parent can give, but specifically the father for this conversation. So I still wrestle with it today, man. You know, there's still things, you know, like my dad's not, my dad still to this day doesn't understand. He's like, what do you do? How do you make money putting these things on the internet? He's like, and I'll share things with him. Like, you know, I can, I can drop some stats on you. I was like, you know, we've grown this much. The viewership is up here. We're getting this many downloads and you get it right. Cause we live in the same world. I'll share those things with him because I, I think that they're great. And it's almost like this blank look. And it's like, I didn't get the reaction from him that I thought I was going to get. And I have to realize in real time, it's, oh, he doesn't, he doesn't understand my world. He still loves it. My dad watches every YouTube video, like <laughs> these little five minute things. It's like, he, he loves it. Like he gets the notifications pop up on his phone, but it's sometimes I still seek some of these, these things. And like, I got to go back and be like, no, that's like, it's, it's okay. He's still is proud of me, even if he doesn't fully articulated because he doesn't understand. He doesn't understand what, what a view means or, you know, what a download means or what Instagram like. So yeah, I, I definitely am still wrestling with some of these things here today. Yeah. And you're in a process, right? We all go through a healing process because in our soul realm, we carry trauma, we carry resentment, we carry, we, we've been hurt, right? We've all been hurt. We're humans. We've been hurt and we hurt people, right? I, I, I sometimes wonder, I'm like, okay, I just want to do my best with my kids because I don't want to inflict harm on them. But here's the, here's the fact is I'm going to say something or do something that's going to hurt them at some point, right? They're going to go back and say, hey, when you said that, or when you gave me that look, or when you corrected my basketball shot after practice or the game, right? It took my confidence or did this. So I'm trying to minimize that. Um, but part of that is being resilient as a human and knowing how to, to bounce back and know that I can always go to my father, God, to heal me and not always look to another human. You know, my earthly father was awesome, but of course there's mistakes. There's things that are going to cause hurt in your life. And we need to learn how to let go of that and, and to find you know, ultimate fulfillment in our relationship with God and obviously do everything we can to make those earthly relationships the best they can be. But I want to go just a little bit farther because we started talking about the, the design of God through the nuclear family 
and what a father can provide. So we also talked about in this episode um, that there is a devil, there is an enemy that wants to stop you from moving into your purpose, wants to stop God's plan for your life, wants to stop God's plan in the earth, right? He will be unsuccessful. However, you'll see, just as we said, strategically, if you want to stop God's plan, you would take out the man. Well, if you want to stop God's plan right now, not only do you want to take them out, you want to make them, you want to ridicule them in media, right? So let's attack anything masculine. Let's attack anything that exhibits leadership, character, responsibility, commitment to family, and let's ridicule that right? Let's make fun of it. Let's make every, I mean, this started in the, probably before the eighties, but in the eighties, all the sitcoms that we watched, you know, like married with children or you name whatever, which comedy was out there. The guy was always a dopey husband. The women were always very smart and intelligent. Nothing wrong with that. Um, but they looked at their husbands like, yes, dear, whatever. And like the husband was the butt of every joke. The kids didn't get them. That's dad sitting on the couch watching TV. And there's been this like predictive programming of this is the way we want you to see your father. Like men are reduced, put in the corner. They're not masculine. They're not decisive. And we can take them out of the picture. And when we fast forward all the way to present day with the attack on masculinity and even making men more feminine. And there's nothing wrong with femininity, but there's characteristics of both, right? And men are called to have certain characteristics that represent the father, that represent what a true man does. And they're different. They complement what a woman does. And we can see this attack where men are getting weaker and weaker and they're becoming more, they're abandoning their masculine call. Let's put it that way. Yeah. And I don't think that this is going to be the way that our audience thinks, but if some of these guys maybe take this conversation and they try to bring this to maybe some of their social circles, you know, we're having, you know, literally this episode is airing at Christmas time right now. So maybe people are sitting around with a family and they're kind of posing some of these ideas to maybe their family, maybe their, their distance cousins. Like there's going to be some people that are going to say, Josh, what you're speaking to here is just, we're balancing out the patriarchy, right? You know, it's like for the longest time, the world was, you know, in control by the patriarchy. That's where men were kind of placed above women. And now we're seeing this kind of balance back out. How would you kind of, I don't want to say defend your argument against somebody that's going to say that, but how would you respond uh, if, if that was kind of the pushback that you got from somebody? Yeah, I, I would probably have to know a little bit more of what they mean, but let's, let's, you know, what that definition means to them. And I know it's, it gets convoluted. Do you want to give me a quick example of the patriarchy, just like how it's being used these days and uh, that the world is, 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 is run and driven by men that are seeking power and nothing more. Yeah. So let's, let's first do this. So Jesus, and I wrote a chapter about this inside the standard and the Bible is not repressive or suppressive of women. Some of the examples that people use to put women in a corner are actually, they're just mistranslated. They're not understood. And there's a lot of history that we could do a whole episode just on the mistreatment of women and the way they're viewed. So number one, Jesus liberates women. We see this by the way he acts. So women are not subservient. Um, They are called to be submissive and we're called to be servants, right? So we serve each other. That's what a true biblical marriage looks like is that um, my wife does look to me as the leader of the home. And I I'm actually have a mandate on my life to serve her as Christ loved the church. How much did he love the church? He died for the church, right? So if uh, a traditional Christian viewpoint, um, people take this stuff way too far. The man's got to rule. The women's got to submit. It's a bunch of garbage when people use it and abuse it. I serve my family. I'll lay down my life for my family. I love my family. I lead my family out of a sacrificial love. So that's the proper way that's viewed. So I want to, first of all, say 
that from the biblical standpoint, Jesus liberates women, the Bible liberates women, and that's the call of God for man and woman to operate in partnership, right? We even see that Eve came out of the side of Adam. He's not in front of her or behind her. They're standing side by side. That's the proper order in partnership, ruling together distinctive features and characters, identity, environment, right? They both contribute something different and they complement each other. Um, but in terms of what we're talking about here, an attack on masculinity, we would have to redefine it. I think when someone says like, oh, men are power hungry and they're this, well, like, first of all, I'll concede, there's been some really bad examples out there. There has been. When a man's unredeemed, when he's not a Christian, um, we've talked about this before, but we have this call. It's within your DNA, men. Everyone listening, it's within your DNA. It's why we climb mountains. It's why we want to run companies. It's why we want to launch products. We want to be entrepreneurs. We want to go out and conquer. That's a drive that God gave you. That's a blessing. It's it's in your DNA to strive for excellence and greatness, right? We have that within us. But when it's unredeemed and when it's unsubmitted and it's not laid down in the proper order and given to God first, it will show up in some really messed up ways. It will show up as domination. It will show up as insecurity. It will show up as a lack of confidence. It will show up as I don't know who I am. And so now I'm going to step on someone else or abuse them or hold on to power. So we do have a history among the human race of really bad guys, totally out of alignment, doing really bad things. But that shouldn't cause us to throw the whole model out. The nuclear family is still God's design, and we just have to go back to original intent. Original intent, man and woman, side by side, co-creating, ruling and reigning in a garden, which now is our home atmosphere and our sphere of influence. And how do we move forward and provide the environment, the structure to see our family grow and develop them as leaders as well? And the solution is going to come in more men, more Christian men, knowing who they are as a son of God, their identity, right? So the guys hearing this right now, you know, this is a tough question to answer, right? Because there's guys that are going to be all across the spectrum here in their relationship with God and even understanding who their identity is. But if the guy wants to maybe take one, two steps here today uh, to step into that identity that God has given him, what would you say should be the first thing or second thing that he does walking away from this conversation? Yeah. And I, I can tell you, Frank, from personal experience, from from all the guys that I've dealt with, even though we, we say we know who we are, and some guys know they don't. They know, they're like, hey, I know I need help with my identity. A lot of them say that when they're honest. Um, the number one breakthrough, and it's actually one of the starting points that we have in the program that we developed, is building what I call an unshakable identity. And the second component of that is annihilating the orphan mindset. So the opposite of being a son is being an orphan, when you don't know your father when you don't have a father, when you've been mistreated. And so there's tendencies and characteristics of a son that knows his position, knows his last name, knows where he fits in the family. And when you're operating from that, it's very powerful. But there's also characteristics, fear, jealousy, insecurity, doubt, um, turns into manipulation, turns into all these ugly things that we see in the lives of people that all come from not knowing who you are. And those are orphan tendencies. And so when I'm pressed against the wall, it's instead of knowing who I am and giving the benefit of the doubt to someone, I might project my insecurities onto them and everyone's got ill intent against me. And it shows up in all these really weird ways. So 
if you want to discover who you are, one of the first things you can do, um, well, I would always recommend to get into a solid church. I'd always recommend there's some material and resources, there's programs, there's things that we're doing, things you're doing that we could plug men into. But for simple homework right now, I would get into the word of God, I'd get into the Bible, and I would start looking, and I'll even give you a place to start. I'll tell you to go to Ephesians chapter one. And I would look at Ephesians chapter one and two. I'd look at the whole book actually, but specifically chapter one and two. And I would start substituting my name into the scripture. That's a prayer that the apostle Paul prays. And when he says you, insert your name and start reading the way God sees you. Start reading the way the Father made you, what his destiny is for you. There's many different places we can do that, but you push me for something simple. That's what I would do just to start to rewire the way God sees me. Because here's the thing. We walk around with junk and we see ourselves and we relate to ourselves, most people, from a past present paradigm. So we look back at our past, that predicts who I am, and but I've done this and I've done that. And then we pull it into the present and then we reason in the present why we can't do something because we did this in the past over and over again. But God doesn't see that. He actually speaks to us from our future. He's always talking about where we're going and who he's made us to be. Thank God. So he talks to us from our future. We could say he's future present oriented, where we tend to be present past oriented. And so that'll flip the switch. It changes the game when you realize my past is no longer who I am. Like that's the past, like literally from the beginning of this podcast, I'm no longer the same man. I'm now different in this, in this moment. And so when I have that mindset that I can now create the future with God and who he's calling me to be, I can be anything. I can be who he's calling me to be. I can leave here and say, you know what? I can change the course of my day, the rest of my day. I can cooperate with him. I can surrender to him. So number one, for any man listening right now, you're likely stuck in some kind of cycle or you got some kind of, you know, we all have self-talk. Our, our self-talk, the stats are crazy. Our mind is going all the time. And we're telling ourselves stories. We're telling ourselves um, whatever we're thinking about is what we're manifesting, what we're becoming. Um, those thoughts become things, as you have said in the past. And that's why we have to take all those thoughts captive. And we have to start thinking the thoughts that God thinks about us. And that is where biblical meditation comes in. That's where reading your word, but not just reading it, meditating on it, thinking on it, ruminating on it, praying it, and really walking it out. Beautiful. Guys, Ephesians chapter one and two, inject your name in replace of the scripture. And if these guys want to get present and they want to maybe get in the proper state of flow prior to do that, and they want to maybe start with some of the biblical breathing that we talked about at the beginning, Josh, where's a place that they can learn more about that? Because I know you got a free training that we're giving away to these guys here today. Where can we point them to direct them to get that? Yeah, Frack, thank you for thank you for helping me make this available to everyone. So we're just going to make it really simple. Um, we're going to connect the domain. It's biblicalbreathing.com. Just go to biblicalbreathing.com. I want to give you those protocols we talked about at the beginning of the session. I'm going to give you a little bit of teaching. I'm going to show you the protocols. I'm going to give it to you all for free at that site. And then if you want to get the next step of the program and process, we'll have that information there as well. But my goal is just to serve you and give you some practical tools because Frank, I think this is what you do really well also is that we have a lot of the what and the why, but I think that we need the how. Like, how do I do it? Okay. Like we just said, pray and read your Bible. Well, that's what, and like, I know it's good for me. And the same thing with what you teach and how you're instructing men with your program and rebuilt recovery. It's, it's not just, Hey, I need more information. Show me how to do it. Tell me what to do. And 
that has changed the game for me in every area of my life because basically it's like getting a coach. Like I need a coach. Show me what I'm doing in the gym. Show me how to do this here. Like be my spiritual personal trainer, whatever that looks like. So then I can go out and I can learn how to do it myself and learn how to do it the right way. Yeah. I literally had somebody join us on a call the other day and that's exactly what he said. He's like, Frank, I've spent tens of thousands of dollars on recovery through these various programs and coaches. And it's all that woo-woo space. It's all this stuff that's kind of like speaking kind of 30,000 foot. He's like, I searched you. I watched a handful of videos and you talk tactical. You talk how. And he showed up. He's like, you just tell me what it is. And I'm ready, ready to roll, guys. So biblicalbreathing.com. Uh, for those of you that are literate, illiterate, we'll actually link it down in the show notes. You know, I have to type it into the URL. But biblicalbreathing, B-I-B-L-I-C-A, breathing dot com for everybody out there get the free training guys this has been something that i've been doing for years now i even find myself using some of the things you teach like through prayer and worship at church like they'll be doing a powerful worship song i'm just inhale yah exhale way and it's really powerful and it's brought me so much closer in those moments guys so uh josh has been an absolute honor to have you back here for the fourth time i can't believe it is it four, really four times i yeah, thought it was three this, but well yeah. we've done three solo and then we had you on with dan and larry for oh, the launch right. of the becoming yes. supreme yeah, master yeah, yeah. so technically it is a fourth time returning guest third uh solo episode um i've asked you the question about superhuman here a handful of times i don't want to close with that one here today uh you mentioned though that you've been in the cave that you've been kind of brewing up a couple things what are you looking for as we're kind of turning the page into 2024 what's big and exciting in josh's heart right now Wow. How can I make more impact equipping men? You know, we all have a, a mountain. Every man listening to this, you have a mountain that God's called you to take. There's something very specific that you're called to do. And you start with what's in your hand. And what I found years ago of what's in my hand is that I had men that I was connected with and I'm looking and I'm asking myself, how can I serve them? How can I help you take the territory that you're called to take through encouragement, whether that's just through the podcast, whether that's through more intentional work, whether that's through picking up a copy of the standard and, and running with that. But whatever I can do, my mission is not driven by money. It's not driven by status or recognition or a title. It's driven by how many families can I impact? How many men can I impact and equip them, even if it's just for one season in their life or one part of the journey? And that brings me the most satisfaction. So I'm focused on commit and committed to building and bringing more resources to serve guys where they're at and help them become the man that God's calling them and created them to be. Incredible, man. And uh, I'm honored to have you back here, man. I'm truly blessed to have you. It's such an important, integral part of my life, man. I want to thank you for everything, man. It's crazy to think, you know, uh, that, uh, that summer in Toronto of 2017, man, I, I sat across the table from this beautiful couple uh, eating pizza uh, and what it's turned into, man. And it's, uh, it's been truly life-changing, man. It's been a real honor, man. And uh, you've had such an incredible impact on me. And truthfully, I don't think I'd be doing any of this if it weren't for you, man. So uh, guys, connect with Josh, biblicalbreathing.com. We'll link the standard book. Uh, we'll have all the previous episodes down there. And guys, man, uh, it's been an incredible year here as we wrap up 2023, uh, episode 231. Uh, you know, we've seen some tremendous growth here over this year, and it's all because of you guys out there sh sh sharing, supporting everything we're doing. So if you want to make 2024 the best year ever for all of us here at The Super Life, Life, you want to continue to level up the guests that we're bringing so we get more guys like Josh on the podcast, help us by sharing today's episode, guys. Every single one of you knows a guy in his life that is struggling with his identity. Every single one of you knows a guy that is struggling with distraction. Do us a favor, but do them the blessing by sharing today's conversation with them. But for Josh Kashadorian, author of The Standard, 
Raising the Standard Podcast, biblicalbreathing.com. Your host, Coach Frank Rich here, guys. We love you. We'll see you next week.